This week on Out Now with Aaron and Ed, we are talking Knock at the Cabin. Hello, pizza delivery. Also, the world might be ending. We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello. How are you, Aaron? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm coming to you from Miami this week. Oh. The, the city of a thousand suns. Did they call it that? No, no. I, <laughs> first thing I came out It's not bad, right, Scott? I would have bought that. Yeah. <laughs> well, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm coming for you from the Bay Area where I am. <laughs> okay, good. So we're, we're, all, we're all established there. <laughs> we're, yeah. We're... Uh, Out Now is a film podcast where Avid and I discuss the movies weekly. We dig into movies the most inspired for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other film movie topic. This is episode, this is episode 521. 521. Wow, that's perfect for uh, you know, a, a knock at the door. I don't know what okay. that means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that? Right Working thing? it in. And this week we are talking M Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, and joining us to discuss Knock at the Cabin, we have from the rap, the last box office vendor. It's Scott Mendelson. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be back. Although apparently my new supervillain name is a U.S. Scribe. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was thanks cool. to a, a truthful but somewhat clickbaity headline in my latest rap post, a post that said that India's baton is fucking awesome and everyone should see it. And it's great. That's making a lot of money. I have now been canceled by a nuclear superpower with 1.4 billion people and a slowly tilting rightward government. Awesome. Scott Mendelson, known agitator. Got it. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> it's fun to have goals. USA, you. <laughs> well, Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing very well. No, as as someone that that you know gets into these kind of pickles now and then on the internet, it's always nice when I know one is just complete and total bullshit, and I don't have to feel bad about it at all. I'll find out tomorrow. We find out how many subscriptions it converted. Oh, there you go. Yeah, all two of them. Indeed. Scott, glad to have you back on the regular podcast here as we talk about M. Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, that is what we, and that's what we're going to do. But first, mm-hmm. let's get some show notes. Uh, first up, uh, recently, we've had a few bonus episodes, which were a lot of fun to record. We did our horror awards uh, for 2022 with Professor Mike Dillon and Mark, Ho- Mark Hoffmeyer. A lot of fun there. Mm-hmm. And then just last week, a uh, friend of the show, Alex Billington, and I went over Sundance. Uh, so be sure to tune into those episodes if you if you can, because they're a lot of fun. A lot of fun yeah. stuff gone over. Aaron even put in some cool sound effects. <laughs> I did. Those horror awards are very enjoyable. A lot of slicing that you put in. <laughs> um, what else? New commentary track. It is a new month. It's February, and that means we're going to continue our theme of I Love LA uh, for the commentaries that we've been doing. And this month will be Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, that is the next commentary. Three! <laughs> no. <laughs> Arguably the best one. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is that is the next planned commentary track. So stay tuned for that. We'll record that soon enough. And uh, what else? iTunes and reason ratings, of course. Uh, it's good to get those helps out the show. Helps other people find the show. If you want to log on iTunes, search for Out Now Theron and Abe. Uh, you can do all that. You can log on in there, and you can uh, give us a rating review, which would be great. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, let's do some out now quickies. Trademark. Each week, not that way. When we do it, we talk about it during the week. Please. Trademark. Nice. Yes. Abe. Yes. What have you been seeing recently? Uh, as we all are aware, the nominations for the Academy Awards came out, and I've been kind of doing my annual let's try and watch as many of these as we can that we haven't seen 
before the award ceremony. So I was catching up on Best Animated Feature, and I watched The Sea Beast on Netflix, uh, a movie that Aaron had talked about like six months ago at this point. Um, Yes. And uh, I liked it. I I, I certainly see why it got nominated, and I was glad to see that it wasn't one of those. And I've talked about this in the past, where sometimes Netflix will release these animated movies or just movies in general, where I just think that they're kind of like B-ish movies. Um, those are pretty solid. Just, I think that there was not really anything too gimmicky about it. Cause I was thinking to myself, well, I hope the sea beast actually doesn't start speaking and there's no speaking sea beast. Um, there's really a, an interesting thought about, um, I guess generational trauma throughout this movie, which I thought, which I found very fascinating, the animation, the scales and everything else is really, really well done. Um, I think there's some elements here and there that I didn't really vibe with as much. Um, including questions of, well, what are these uh, other small creatures here on this little island here? And this is pretty cool. Monsters. But yeah, yeah this is monsters. true. Yeah, other other <laughs> monsters, other beasts, yeah. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, so I'm done with that category, and I will be catching up on other categories as we speak. Well, I'm glad that my recommendation from six months ago and the, <laughs> the accompanying Oscar nomination convinced you to watch the series. Yeah. <laughs> now, if only I could get to Ada. <laughs> Anything else? No, that's it. All right, Scott, how about you? What have you been seeing recently? Um, well, yes, I did catch up with All Quiet on the Western Front, as oh, every film critic in America said, ah, oh, God, I guess I have to watch that now. <laughs> um, and it was fine. Um, oh, 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 I've gotten into Apple TV shrinking from Bill Lawrence. Yeah. That, And I kind of love it. Great. I, I mean, mean you, you do love Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's every okay. season. <laughs> well, <laughs> six and seven were pretty rough, but it came back with roaring flying colors for eight. There you go. Um, but yeah, this, this and that's what it stopped, right? It stopped at eight. Yes, there that was, was the ABC no, series. Yeah, never. Yeah, <laughs> we don't count the Goliath Chronicles. <laughs> um, but no, it's 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 obviously cut from the same cloth. It's obviously Bill Lawrence, and Harrison Ford is an absolute delight. Uh, he doesn't take over the show. He is a supporting character. Okay. And the show never lets him overpower everybody else, which I, is another good thing about it. But I would be shocked if he doesn't win an Emmy in the next round of awards. Because wow. uh, it's that kind of role. And obviously everybody loves him. And he has a number of very funny spotlight moments. But everyone is very good. Siegel is very good as sort of the, you know, he's sort of the straight man in the same way that, you know, nobody's favorite character on Scrubs was J.D. And that's fine. That's kind of the point. Uh, Jessica Williams he is was very Kirk's funny. Favorite character. That is true. That is true. <laughs> it's 10, 10 episodes. I'm. I just finished. I think episode eight. And I'm. I'm. I want to watch the rest, but there's okay. a part of me that doesn't. I wish it was a network show with twenty four episodes. Um. The good news is because it's Apple, it will probably get renewed. Unlike pretty much everything else that's premiered in the last several months. <laughs> <laughs> Even Aaron and I got our show canceled. <laughs> our tv show that is yes uh, aaron or uh, scott i have a question for you are you watching 1923 uh slowly but surely well yeah i am I was you are it's like <laughs> it took like 12 years to get to a fifth episode yeah. uh, um, are you, you thinking that harrison ford's having more fun there or in shrinking um, i have to say shrinking just well, shrinking, material he's probably having more fun 1923 yeah. is he, he's digging in which is nice uh-huh. yeah i mean 
this is not my this is not my joke, but I like it, so I'm going to borrow it. It's like the idea that Harrison Ford went to his agent and said, "Okay, what's popular right now? Yellowstone, Ted Lasso, and Marvel. Give me one of all three of those." <laughs> I mean, um, Scott, he's got to set up some funds for some grandkids. So exactly, exactly. I get it. <laughs> he's got he's also got to pay for like you know airplane fuel. So. <laughs> That's that's what Indiana Jones is for. The red oh, TV. Oh, got that's, it. That's that's a sharing some grandkids. That's like everyday expenses and his grandkids. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's see. And other than that, what was? Oh, the entire family. And I can't remember the last time all five of us went to a movie at the same time. We saw the Amazing Maurice today, which was a a, is- a Terry Pritchett. Is that his name? Or my sounds right? about right. Yeah. Adaptation. It's basically an animated feature about a talking cat and talking mice in a world where that's not entirely normal. It's very meta, but it is, I mean, again, I don't want to oversell it, but it's mm-hmm. its totally, you know, it's a solid three-star family entertainment that I liked a lot. Great. Okay. I'm looking at the poster here, Sundance. Um, yeah. So that, that was fun. Um, and I think that's it for now, although I'm sure you'll bring up something that I forgot to mention. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've seen a few things. Uh, I watched You People. Uh, this is Kenya Barris's directorial debut, technically, as a movie, because uh, mm-hmm. he's been just doing TV. But he and Jonah Hill wrote this movie uh, where he, and, where Jonah Hill and Laura London, uh, Lauren London are uh, a couple, and they uh, want the, they're going to get married and they want their parents to be. Um, and their parents include Eddie Murphy, Nia Long, Julie Louis Dreyfus and David Duchovny. Um, it becomes a big culture clash as far as um, LA Jews and <laughs> Black Muslims and the various differences between them. There, I like this movie overall, but it's way too long. It's two hours; it doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. But there's so much good riffing going on, like with this cast, that it's like it's hard to say like this is bad. Like there's too much good stuff here that I was genuinely laughing at. That. Uh, made it just enjoyable despite having a fairly standard like plot and getting to an inevitable place but taking its time to get there but like it's very like jonah hill is very funny eddie murphy is obviously very fun playing more of a straighter character if anything as given how he's playing his role uh and there's even like some like meat on the bones like i do think there's the ways they're like there's obviously like a cringe factor in the way some of these interactions go given how racially bent the humor can be. Um, but there's confrontational moments that I think work quite well as far as how it chooses to become more serious about the way that there's differences between people mm-hmm. um, that I appreciated well enough. So like you people is like, it's not like a great movie, but at the same time, it's like, I was laughing a lot and I appreciated things about it. So it, it has that. Okay. Um, let's see. I saw infinity pool uh, last like two weeks ago now. This is Brandon Cronenberg's follow-up follow up to Possessor. Um, very visual. <laughs> Much like Possessor, it certainly um, wants to bring you in on the kind of the, the gore and what have you. Uh, but this time you have Alexander Skarsgård uh, and uh, Mia Goff, who is somehow more terrifying here than either Pearl or X from last year. <laughs> um, I don't want to get into the plot because it kind of spoils itself, but essentially Alexander Skarsgård's like on a white lotus vacation like amped up to 11 um and terrible things happen um i think the first hour works well enough and then it kind of just treads water for the second but it's still like 
in terms of what Cronenberg's going for, like visually and stylistically, there's enough there to be like, well, he certainly got it. I just wish there was more to say because I just kind of figured what it was after the first half of it. But it's not uninteresting. It's just it's it's not as good as Possessor, which I really mm-hmm. liked. So um, as far as some foreign cinema goes, I did also see Patan. This is the Indian action movie uh, that's currently has a surprising number of theaters in America. Um, this movie feels like the director watched every Mission Impossible movie and decided that MI2 was the best one, but he could do it better. Um, and that's Just what why you get. it's fucking awesome. It's uh, <laughs> it's no RRR by any stretch, but it's still a very enjoyable action movie. That's also way too long. It's two and a half hours, uh, complete with two musical numbers, um, and a lot of action. Um, but the action is impressive. I, I enjoyed what it was going for. I had a lot of fun with it. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I got a kick out of Patan. Uh, the other one I want to mention is The Wandering Earth 2. Um, the Wandering Earth, the first one, the mega hit from China from a couple years ago, has one of my favorite goofy premises for any sci-fi movie I've ever seen as far as we need to put, we need to build rocket engines around the Earth's equator so we can move the Earth to another galaxy because the sun's going to just die and we're not going to be able to live anymore. That's incredible. <laughs> that is the most ridiculous possible premise you can come up with. So they made a sequel to this based on a novel, like a series of novels. And unfortunately, well, I didn't dislike it. The, the sequel serves as a prequel to the first movie, which like surprised me because I didn't know that's what was going to happen. Um, but like, cool, I guess. Like I'm seeing more of like how they made these engines or what have you. At the same time, though, I'm thinking... Well, I want to see more of the Earth going through space on these rocket engines that they developed in the first movie. But still, there's a it, this movie's nearly three hours. Again, way too long. But there's a lot of just over-the-top like sci-fi action and melodrama that made the first one enjoyable. This one, just like the novelty of the first one's not there for this one. So like it knocks it down a peg. That said, mm-hmm. they added Andy, Andy Lau to the cast. So I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. Like, I'm into that. <laughs> they, brought yeah. in, they brought in the Infernal Affairs of Andy Lau. That's nice. Um, so And the effects are better than the first movie, which I also appreciated. It feels like they got a significant, for a movie that's even longer than the first one, they got a significant upgrade. Um, and I was, it was, I was fairly impressed with the visuals. I was more, more than fairly. I was very impressed with the visuals here, especially in a world where avatar exists i'm like these look really good i'm happy with this so wandering earth to like if it's playing like in imax theaters and like theaters right now like the first one's on netflix i'm sure this will be on netflix soon enough but uh as far as this series go like i presumably they make a third one which i assume they will which will probably again be set after the first one at this point i i'm happy i watched this one to set up whatever they're going for and i'm looking forward to whatever comes next with this ridiculous series so that's what i've been watching great that's enough quickies. Trademark. Let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk. We're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week. When it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. And this week, we are talking the trailer for Scream 6. The sixth Scream. <laughs> I, I was waiting for the call in that you were going to add. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure you know which Scream this was. Arabella, uh, part one. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie is coming a little bit over a year after, after the last Scream called Scream. Um, it returns to the cast many of the characters that we've met in that previous film, which is like a soft reboot slash legacy sequel. Uh, so once again, you have Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Courtney Cox is back, 
Nev Campbell is notably not back because of payment stuff we don't need to get into. Um, and apparently Hayden Panettiere, who was in the fourth movie, is coming mm-hmm. onto the cast as well this time around, along with other people. I need to get all this cast. Same directors, the uh, well, Matt Benedelli Open and Tyler Gillette, who did Ready or Not and then did Scream. Um, but this time, of course, uh, they're all in Manhattan. <laughs> they're all they're all in New York. They're all that's where Ghostface is chasing them to this time. I don't know why. None of us know why. But Abe, where, where were you with the? What do you, you think of this trailer? Uh, I. I actually really like this trailer. I, I think that there's some really cool elements that we've kind of learned to really enjoy about the elements of suspense and surprise. Good subway sequence. I dig that there's a really cool still photo still of a uh, a shotgun wielding ghost face killer. And I actually really am interested in how they're going to they're gonna use the setting of New York. This does follow into the footsteps of some of the other movie franchises that we've seen in the past growing up in the 80s and 90s. But I'm, you know, I think we've always been around either Los Angeles, the fake town of, I forget where they are in screen. Woodsboro. Woodsboro, thank you. Um, and maybe like some pieces of other cities here and there in, in interspliced cuts. So just being solely in New York, but having all these characters that we have, no, have known from the previous uh, Scream movie to be in it, I'm curious to see what they're going to be doing. Like if it's going to be the same, that's cool. But I'm curious to see if they're going to use New York in some in some fashion. Scott, how about you? It looks fine. I'm happy to see that the emphasis is on generally on the new cast. Um, that's one thing I kind of liked about the last Scream. It was not one of those legacy sequels that, which pushed the newbies out of the way. Um, uh, I am like all of us. I am curious to how much the movie actually takes place in New York as opposed mm-hmm. to mostly taking place on a dinghy cruise ship for the first hour. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it's a scream movie. I think three and four are garbage. I thought one and two are terrific. Five was fine. And hopefully six will also be fine. Um, I have no assumption that this is actually happening, but I will cackle very hard if they accidentally pull a GI Joe retaliation and uh, 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 Ortega gets killed off of the opening scene. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> I think you mean more of an executive decision starring Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal, Scott. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking G.I. Joe Retaliation, <laughs> which had uh, Chatting Tatum yeah. getting killed off. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to shout out uh, executive decision. Steven Seagal made it the first 45 minutes. That's right. He, he was the act one climax death. Oh, still, a, still a surprise. <laughs> Unless you're paying attention to the trailer. It. I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about you, Aaron? I didn't know it was coming to the executive decision because I, <laughs> wow, I didn't I'm see envious. the trailer. Because I didn't see the trailer. You lucky <laughs> bastard. We didn't have the internet in 92. <laughs> it's a thing called movie theaters and they show movies and sometimes beforehand they have trailers. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm largely with Scott here as far as, yes, I like the movies the same way. I do like, I hope for more than fine because why not? I, I like to have my, you know, sights had high, high enough and I, I like what five did and I I like how six looks so far and yeah it's the sixth scream movie so I'm not expecting necessarily like the best slasher of all time but at the same time the last time there was a scream movie that was put into quick turnaround coming out a year later it was scream two the best in the franchise so I mean yes what, what, why not why not set your hopes a little bit higher mm-hmm. um, I I do appreciate this New York setting uh, I like from what I've seen in this trailer I'm happy that it seems to factor in at least a good amount um because that just is interesting it is interesting to see ghost face in you know 
an, an urban environment like this and them actually, you know, using things like a bodega and what have you as set pieces. So, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping for, you know, good stuff here. Um, and things are leaning in a way where at least be entertaining. Um, yeah, they didn't have to hire in Aaron Kruger at the last second to do rewrites. So that's a plus <laughs> right there. Like everyone's pretty happy about that. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, let's let's see what we got. Uh, Scream Six opens in theaters on March 10th, so it's coming soon. Coming soon, yeah. To theater near you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to our let's get to our main review for Knock at the Cabin. I'm afraid the rule is that no one's allowed to leave until you choose. Do you really think it's all just a coincidence? I have to believe that! My son is gonna die. His name is Charlie. As a mother, I am begging you. You're the only one who can stop this. Andrew, I saw something. There was something in the light. And I feel it now. Been given the chance to decide the fate of everyone. Time's running out on the world. I'm scared. There is nothing more flawed and perfect in this world than our family. Please make a choice. Always together. Always together. I will ask for the last time. Will you make a choice? That should have been some of the trailer for Knock at the Cabin. Starting from The Visit, M. Night Shyamalan continues his current phase of his career, which has him self-funding at least a good majority of the feature to tell a smaller, tighter story. He also He's also continuing his current favorite subgenre of taking kids on vacation is the worst. <laughs> knock, at the, knock at the Cabin. Knock at the Cabin features a couple on vacation at a remote cabin with their daughter, Wen. When Wen is approached by a large man played by Dave Bautista, it doesn't take long for her to run from this stranger danger and warn her dads of the people approaching with weapons. All is for naught, however, as Batista's Leonard, along with three others, break into the home, tie up the family, and alert them that one member will have to kill one of the others in order to prevent the apocalypse. What's a family to do? Scott, where have you been with this revived period for Shyamalan, and what do you think of this film? Well, as long as he stays out of the unbreakable sandbox, I think he's been on a relative winning streak. And I loved The Visit. I think it's his fourth best movie after those first three mainstream films, you know, Six Sense, Unbreakable Signs. I think, frankly, I think The Visit has the best plot twist of any of his movies. Um, with the caveat that, you know, I would say only maybe a third of his pictures have that wowzers, you know, uh, it's a plot twist it, at the end. It's a fifth now. It's a fifth of his movies have a, have a twist in them. Yes, I, I guess. It gets smaller um, and smaller that window. <laughs> but in, again, I, I had minor issues with Split, and I did not like Glass one bit whatsoever. Um, but Old, I, I not only did I very much enjoy Old, but it was this weird where Shyamalan was at this place. It's like okay, I you know he had it's like he has nothing left to prove anymore. You know, his comeback is solidified. He's doing what he wants to do, you know, under certain circumstances, single location, relatively cheap, et cetera, et cetera. But he's gone from being like touted as the next Spielberg to being this weirdo, idiosyncratic auteur in a in a increasingly, increasingly bland monoculture of mainstream pop culture entertainment. 
which is to be fair is part of where a lot of the you know uh, uh critical reappraisement of some of his uh lesser pictures are coming from because i mean the happening for example i think is aged very well just by being this bonkers bananas thing um this, this you know, what if you gave ed wood 60 million dollars and you know what would happen um It'd be as bad as the happening that's the that question oh <laughs> So yes, I've I've been completely on board with the whole, you know, M Night Shyamalan is back thing. My only issue is I wish he'd give himself more money because I I think you know I do want more locations and a bigger scale. And I'm not saying you need to do you know a hundred million dollar picture, but what does a fifty million dollar Shyamalan picture look like in 2020? You know, 2025, I guess. Um, well, maybe if Netflix knocks it off, they can get him to do that legacy sequel to Last Airbender. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I, I've been, I've, I've, I, yes, I've, I've been very happy to watch him come back from the dead, for lack of a better term. Even though commercially, I mean, most of his films are relatively profitable. Um, and I do wonder to what extent the "oh no, Shyamalan is terrible now" thing that was part of the discourse for almost a decade was was sort of a perpetually online bubble type situation where general audiences, maybe they didn't like the happening as much as the sense, but it's like, ah, eh, that was fun, whatever. Um, and what'd you think of this movie, Scott? Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it is somewhat hamstrung by virtue of its claustrophobic setting and frankly, it's claustrophobic narrative. And without getting into any details, I don't know if we're doing spoilers later or not, but once they set up the rules of the game and once they set up sort of how things are going to play out, you pretty much, you know, it becomes very repetitive where thing happens, characters readjust, thing happens again, characters readjust. And there's not a lot of variety to that. And because we know that our leads are sympathetic leads that have been, you know, kidnapped, harm can only come to them under very specific circumstances ergo a lot of the traditional scenarios which would create tension and suspense i would argue do not because they're only in so much danger up to a point and that you know i I don't know if there's any way around that well but there is but i mean it's it's again that's a spoiler conversation Mm -hmm. but i felt that the first third is very good uh, I felt it was a little repetitive and monotonous after that. That being said, it's very well directed. Uh, it's very well acted. Uh, I think Batista is very well suited to Shyamalan's quirkiness. In you know, he, he, you know, because of the way he speaks and the way he carries himself, I think he's able to sell some of Shyamalan's trademark goofy dialogue in a way that maybe seems more above board. Mm-hmm. And the the extreme comparison I would make was be uh, uh, Christoph Waltz, you know, basically delivering Tarantino's rambling conversational dialogue in Inglorious Bastards in a way that was far more effective than, say, Death Proof. Um, not one of my favorite Shyamalan pictures, but it's a Shyamalan picture through and through, and I had a good time with it. 
Abe, I, I know that you are just the biggest fan of old. Like you couldn't stop talking about old every day of the week. You're like, <laughs> what, what, what did you end up beach? calling it? Like, well, like Magic Beach. Beach or something? Magic? No, that's way too complicated. Magic Beach. Just get Magic to the point. Magic Beach. Yeah. <laughs> just get know, to the it's point. called the beach that makes you old. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, if if it made that title, it probably would have made like a hundred. That'd be my dollars. tagline. It'd be called Magic. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be called Magic Beach, the beach that makes you the old. The beach that made you old. That's the tag. That's, that's on it's the really just on the nose. Like you know, that would have made a hundred million domestic. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone would be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> So despite despite your fandom for old Abe, what did, where are you with uh, with shy, old old M Night in this movie? To uh, to correct the um, the uh, statement there, I I thought that old was just okay. Um, uh, as far as like, Shyamalan, I would call you really disliking old a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things about it that I was like, this is not very interesting. And how did this happen? How did that happen? And then at, at some point, Ken Lung just like shows up and he's like, I'm gonna go out for a swim. They show him back up, and he's just a skeleton because it's old beach. Um, anyway, Shyamalan's career has been really interesting because I think that there are a lot of uh, hot and cold, and then also just some very like warm movies that uh, that he's made and directed. I uh, I'm increasingly more of a fan of Unbreakable, and uh, I think that there was just that ending bit there where I thought, ah, oh, this is uh, a little bit ahead of its time, and just the way that it's taking the uh, superhero genre and kind of turning it on its head to some degree and making us think about this and that. Um, but as far as his most recent stuff goes, I did enjoy the visit. I, I did know, uh, I, I, I enjoyed that twist with it. And I also really enjoyed that there was a level of, I'm kind of freeing myself from the Hollywood chain, so to speak. And I'm going to make a movie that I want to make uh, instead of having to like live up to these high expectations or what have you. Um, and then, you know, we, we get some other stuff that, that goes on there. As far as Knock at the Cabin goes, or yeah, Knock at the Cabin, I thought it was a really interesting movie. I think that there's some really like cool conceits about this movie that unfortunately are, are they don't have too much time to explain how some of these things happen or or let these things kind of play out. But there was really neat ideas of, you know, religion aspects or just um online echo chamber aspects or whatever else that you might want to take from it. So there's some really cool ideas here. The execution of it is just, I think what Scott mentioned is sometimes it gets a little bit repetitive because they actually have to move through a series of uh, actions fairly quickly. Um, and the runtime is, is uh, like an hour and some 100, odd hundred minutes with credits. It's not yeah, 140 minutes or I'm sorry, an hour and 40 minutes with credits. So it's a very, quote unquote like briskly paced movie but that brisk pace kind of like comes at the expense of well let me you know show this or let me explain more of like what what um uh what's his face um the guy singing guy an fbi guy jonathan groff um is kind of experiencing <laughs> and like what is I, I like that there's interstitial cuts throughout this movie but it also does doesn't really allow me to um kind of like really question to some degree like i think that there could have been a really cool um uh, what's that Michael Shannon movie where he, uh, take shelter where it's like, is this actually happening or is this not actually happening? Uh, and um, it does all get explained at the end there, but it, I think there could have been a really tighter, tenser movie to some degree. Um, and while I do think the performances are very good as well, everybody's really giving it uh, their all. David is definitely a standout. I think John the is also doing some good work here. Um, I do want to shout out that the technical aspects of this movie are very good. Like the, the cinematography by, I think it's like two folks here. 
um, Jaron Blaschke and uh, Lowell Meyer. Really well done for uh, just basically a one setting movie of Inside of a Cabin, kind of making it look cavernous, but also using the camera movement to some degree that I thought was really clever and well done, um, including like a fixed point and then kind of just moving it from left or right. Uh, I thought that was pretty uh, interesting. So there's a lot of really good things about this, but overall there's just, uh, there never really gave me a sense of, uh, of, Oh, they're, they're in like ultra, like weird danger or what is actually going on here. Um, I do think that this is helped because it's based off of a, it's adapted from a, a book uh, and that kind of probably lends itself to giving you a, a although I think that there's some changes to the book, there it gives you a, um, a blueprint of sorts to work with. So interesting movie. I am. Um, I've always found Shyamalan fascinating as a director. Like even when I don't like the movies, I'm never not interested in what he's going to do. Um, which is a credit to just what he's able to accomplish where like his misses still have things about them where like I like that he's making choices or whatnot I might not always agree with the choices but it's never like he's phoning it in necessarily um this movie with the caveat that I've liked some of the films uh since what I'm going to mention um I think this is the best movie since Signs uh, I really like Knock at the Cabin a lot um for all of the positives you guys have already listed as far as you know the acting is solid the direction is strong um, there's a lot of elements here that I think are just really effectively handled I think it is quite tense um, as far as being contained uh, and working as sort of a chamber piece at while like the stake of the world is going on outside um, I appreciated the way he was able to kind of deliver this intimate thriller um that still has like wild things going on elsewhere. I'm very glad I didn't watch the second trailer for this movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had no idea what was really coming. Um, and even then, like it doesn't give away everything, but it's like there's certain shots where I'm like, I'm glad I didn't see this beforehand. Cause it's a, uh, I was, I was impressed by how there are effects in this movie, given the budget of it, where I'm like, well, there's some, the idea of impending doom is delivered upon in its own way that I appreciated while not expecting it to go to like certain levels. Um, but like, regardless of all that, I do think the, the work coming here from this cast is really good. I think Batista is great in this movie. I agree that Jonathan Grob is also very good here. Like none of the cast are bad. Uh, I give, I would give a shout out to the fact that Shyamalan like gets great performances from kids. Like, I don't know if this is like said enough, but like he has had a lot of kids in his movies and they're all generally really good in the movies. Uh, it's, it's something I just like see once again here uh, with when um, and what she's like bringing to this as far mm-hmm. as having a certain kind of attitude that fits without like being overboard or anything like that. Um, I know the movie's based on a novel I know there was a script that was written and then Shyamalan wrote it, rewrote it. I'm whatever the case may be as far as how the adaptation worked. I'm glad that the dialogue just feels better here. Uh, like it's one thing to deliver it a certain way, but there's just something about how it's written. Maybe it's just because there's less time to kind of dilly dally and there's, it's all focused on being fairly straightforward and serious. But like compared to old, a movie where like Scott, I appreciate like the idea of, yeah, 
Shyamalan has a sense of quirkiness, but like that movie felt like so like jarring at times in the way people were speaking, where this movie feels like I can believably accept the lines of dialogue coming out of people's mouths, um, which was a relief. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> you get that in anybody else's other movie. <laughs> I no, you don't. Not necessarily. You're not wrong. But it doesn't mean I have to like it. No, no, um, you're you're right. And like old's movie, I like. I don't mind. Yeah, like, but I think it, it is fine. a little skits together. It, but it, duct tape. It, it feels very arch in like yeah. in some of those deliveries. This movie doesn't have that issue. Like I was very happy that like even when it tries to be funny, like there's you know bits of humor here and there, like all channel mm-hmm. movies. And it's and it like I actually I got the, the humor made sense to me. It wasn't humorous because like that was a funny delivery. It's humorous just because the lines are funny or whatnot, sure. including Shyamalan's uh, cameo, uh, which is great. Um, <laughs> uh, also, I, he's also very credit for like, you know no, best director cameos. Yeah, I, I think one of the best parts of his quote unquote comeback has been the sheer glee and devilish self-awareness that he now brings to his cameos yeah like the old cameo it's not even a cameo he's like a supporting character in old basically like, yeah, yeah basically that was pretty great based on the themes of that movie regardless this movie i really like it i mm-hmm. and I, there's a lot of really great direction here like you mentioned the cinematography there's like early on in this like the it gets tense like i appreciated how tense it got and i i'd argue i, I didn't find it to be redundant just because i there's there's too little there's not enough characters for me to think it was like going on too long with this stuff. Like I, I like that there there's a variety to a point, but also it's like, yeah, like we have to like, we have to keep this thing moving. Like I wasn't feeling like, right, right, right. I, I, I didn't feel like it was just an adjustment and then we're doing it again. I, I felt like there was like, we've removed an element and now and there's, 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 there's an assessment for sure, but it, like now it reflects on the characters differently. And I do think this movie is very, for being a thriller, it's very character focused, which I appreciate it also. Uh, but early on, there's a whole sequence where Leonard's talking with, with Wen, and I love how like there's these these like these very big close-ups on eyes and there's like there's split shots there's like all this work going into making it super tense because it's like yeah it's Dave Batista and he's acting like a you know a big gentle giant and all that but also he's still a strange man that just walked up to a little girl having a conversation so it's like it's messing with you in ways that I really appreciate it like there's there's just a lot here that I've really and even like we get into it more with like the themes or what have you but I just I I really liked what this movie was doing it just felt good on like operating at all the right levels here uh, you brought this up earlier. I had a question for both of you guys because uh, Scott's a box office guru here. Um, Shyamalan has has he been self funding these movies lately? Yeah, since the visit. Okay. Yeah, and uh, Scott, I know that you had a a back and forth exchange where fifty million bucks people were scoffing at that, but fifty million bucks these days, I think to your to your tweet was it's just not really a lot for a budget these days. Um, so kind of uh, the question is. From Shyamalan's perspective, he's kind of taken this Steven Soderbergh time approach of I'm just going to be doing my own thing nowadays. And I think that uh, do you guys feel as though that's just is he going to be asked to do another big scale project like 100 million plus or is he just going to be sitting back and doing whatever he wants to do? I think there, you know, he may eventually get, you know, a big fat check to maybe do like a streaming show that that isn't servant which he partially funds himself as well. Right. And is or, also great. Yeah, yeah, it's actually quite good. Um, but I mean, I think he's very happy doing what he's doing. Yeah. My only feeling is that, you know, as somebody that likes him a lot and is always whining about how movies feel smaller than they used to, I would, you know, I would like to see him as an auteur with a certain amount of butts and seats marquee draw, 
play in a slightly larger sandbox. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that means part of the movie gets funded by Universal, so it's not all on him. Maybe there's an artistic compromise or two along the way. I don't know. But, you know, again, I think he's certainly earned the right to go a little bigger if he wants to. And it's not a war crime that he, he he's doing these single location, home invasion, family in peril type melodramas. Right. But I think he's earned the right to be less careful, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just I, I don't I don't want to see him do this uh, in a bigger scale, honestly, because I, I just don't think it's going to work out for him. Yeah, um, and that's, I, that's I, fair. I, I like these because they are contained, like for the most part. Like I, I too have issues with split and glass is terrible, uh, but <laughs> but I but I like I like the idea that he can do this sort of thing. For one thing, getting great premises for these movies um, and delivering on them the way he wants to. I think the second you start to do something bigger, it either leads to another last Airbender situation, which he never wants to get into again, mm-hmm. or it leads into something like Unbreakable, which is like, yeah, that's great, but no one's going to fund that movie. There's no world where yeah. Unbreakable gets made today. So it's like, I, I, no, I, 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 I don't think he wants to do that. And I don't think there's an environment that exists where he can do that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's some compromise that can make it unless it's some big IP property or something else that, you know, is just out of the realm of, of possibility. Mm-hmm. Here, I like this. I like seeing him take like a handful of actors, finding a location and doing like almost like guerrilla filmmaking as far as like getting like cool cinematographers from indie movies he likes right. or smaller horror movies he dug. Like when he did, when he did Split, he got like what, like the composer of It Follows and the cinematographer from, from um, I think the Egger. Or this one's from the Eggers. This is the Egger camp, yeah. Yeah, like regardless, he's getting like just these cool guys. That he just sees in the movies, like yeah, let me get one of these guys to work on my movie. And I like the what he's delivering here. Like this movie, it it is primarily set in this cabin. And yet I, I love the way he uses it to like all its almost all of its degree. I love there's there's still mystery to the cabin, even like there's a whole like basement that we like barely see in this movie. Sure, like there's yeah. just stuff going on that leaves a lot to the imagination. So it's like I think he's comfortable here. From what mm-hmm. I can tell from his interviews, he seems to be comfortable here too. He seems more excited about like his, you know, one of his daughters becoming a director or like funding other projects or whatnot. He could just meanwhile stay in his own lane right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's it's my feelings on that are because, you know, I want movies in general to feel a little bigger here and there. Sure. And mm-hmm. especially, you know, in competition with quote unquote prestige television and streaming and what have you. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Sure. Yeah. And I think for what it's worth, old was a film that felt and looked bigger than its budget. So it's not like they're always going to feel as small as perhaps the bank account. But you know, in glass was its own issue. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, they, they kept teasing that they're going to that big tower and they never went to the tower. <laughs> uh follow-up question for you guys about Shyamalan. Um, do you think that he has been able to shed the director that always adds a twist to his movies? I I think for anyone that pays attention, yes. For people that don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think for better or worse, having two big films in a row that had whammy, you know, twist epilogues, basically, mm-hmm. kind of set that narrative in motion. Even though his very next film, which was a huge smash, Signs, had no Has particularly no, huge no, plot yeah. twist. 
I mean, yeah, okay. Oh, look, they're afraid. You know, they're allergic to water. That's not a twist. Who cares? That's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's irrelevant. Like a, no, not he's irrelevant, made, but it's it's. He's made it's, fifteen movies at this point, and yeah. three, maybe four, have twists in them. So it's oh. like, yeah, it's a matter of if you're if you're actually paying attention to Shyamalan's movies. Yeah, you're you're smart enough to realize he's not the twist guy. But right. if you're just judging him on stereotypical things, like yeah, he's the twist guy that makes bad movies. That's how you think of Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's it's. I am thrilled that he has sort of risen from the ashes of whatever was going on in the mid to mid to late two thousands, um, and I, I will say that, and I know this is this is you know a debate that no one's really going to agree on one way or another, but I do like the fact that the film. On one hand, the film stars two gay dads mm-hmm. just because. That being said, the film also does lean into more than the novel, I've been told. The fact that these these two fathers do feel an additional element of persecution because they assume they're being targeted by homo- homophobic religious zealots. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that specificity. And yes, there's a case to be made that, oh, you know, can't they just be gay, just and not be a huge part of the family? And, and, you know, it goes both ways. But when you get more and more, quote unquote, representation, then you can have the variety where one thing doesn't have to be acceptable to everyone in a given demographic. What I like about this is that the movie, like the, the characters that are, you know, Leonard and the gang, their, you know, their insistence is that this is just how it is. Meanwhile, yeah. um, Groff and Aldridge's characters, they they can't help but think that because why wouldn't they? Why sure, wouldn't that yeah. be a factor in everything that's going on here? And right. I like that the movie's message deals with that in its own way without explicitly going out of the way to say it. There's a there's a great tweet that I read. I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I brought it up here. But it says the the movie is very clear that it's about both the price of assimilation into a world that demands you hide yourself and the spiritual capacity to forgive both a world and an individual who has caused you pain. Like to me, that's a great summation of what this that was. Two hundred eighty characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I shortened um, it. Like, oh, like, okay. like so, it still wasn't even with, even with the show. <laughs> and. I will say that without going into any details, the way the film ends is different from the novel, but okay. also feels truer to M. Night Shyamalan's past work. I agree. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's fun to think of Shyamalan this way as far as he likes to play a dark joke on people as far as his characters go. Yeah. Like old is a great example of that. Uh, as far as just how willing he is to let people suffer to some degree or, do you, you know, not everyone's going to make it in a Shyamalan movie. Yeah. Um, and the way we explore that can be, you know, fun in a movie way. At the same time, the guy is an optimist. He is a glass half full kind of guy. And mm-hmm. I, and with it, this doesn't give away anything, but like, I think his, he, he wants his characters to have some sense of hope. And I like the way he's able to play with that. I don't think that's an easy thing to do as far as present people with a dire situation yet also want people to leave a theater feeling fairly good about themselves. Like that's, that's a tr- that's, that's, that's why he gets compared to things like Hitchcock and Spielberg. Cause I do mm-hmm. think that, you know, those guys are masters of that, obviously, as far as dealing with tense situations. Who's this Spielberg you speak? I've never heard of him. Uh, he directed uh, some Peter Pan movie once, but oh, like okay. this, <laughs> but 50, the, yeah. 50s director, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, the other one, that's the Marnie guy, right? God, <laughs> oh, <really sucked. laughs> Yeah, family um, plot. 
Yeah. Ugh, question for I never you. even saw that one because Marnie was so bad. Yeah. This movie is PG-13. I think all of his movies are PG-13. It's R. This one's this R. R. This is R. It's a oh, second, this is great. R- it's a I, second I, R-rated movie. I recant my question then. I, um, I, to lean into that, I will say it's a. it feels like a light R. Yeah, um, that, that's why I was like, this is PG-13, right? But I guess I there is. I think it was R just because of the subject matter more than. And I guess because of maybe some blood on screen. Well, no, but I think he was very, you know, it's, it's he's very reluctant. It is a light R, but it's a situation where I don't think they could have made this movie with a PG-13. Sure. So they just said, you know, it's a $20 million film. We'll take the R, whatever. Yeah, I don't want to get into like where things go and things in the novel or what have you. So I'll just, I can agree with you. And I'll also add that it feels like if he wanted to cut this down, he could have, but he chose not to because... It didn't seem like a, you know, there wasn't going to be a financial difficulty from right. it. And yeah, the subject matter, like it's. Where was this makes, courage during old, damn it? There's no, <laughs> there's no concession. I mean, old Scott, old, I didn't have his phone number then. I could have texted him during that. If I, 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 I argue old, or old is more vicious than this movie in that. Exactly. But yeah, I, I, like, yeah. I think that one could have used an R rating. Well, I'm saying I don't know what the yeah. R would change because it just it still feels as visceral as it needs to with like yeah. Rufus Sewell's stabbing Garcia Garcia <laughs> but not like I mean it, it does I don't know what the R would suddenly add to that movie. Regardless, yes, this is a, it's a very it feels like a light R, and yet I do think the 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 moments where violence occurs is effective. I, sure. I think yeah. it works sure. in the yeah. in the right kind of ways. Um. Well, no, it's 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 he's always been very. <sighs> deliberate about what to show and what not to show mm-hmm. regardless of what rating he was chasing at any given time yeah exactly yeah um so you know even though the last airbender is pg you know the beheadings and gorings happen just off screen and i see if man Dave punching a fish like that yes what got, that's what raised it up <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, why I got the the PG rating. Yeah, that's why it went up from G from that because wow. because I need to say this again out loud. Asif Mandiv, Asif Mandiv punches a fish. <laughs> Spider Man two's Asif Mandiv. Go. Yes. Yeah, not go. <laughs> uh, uh, you guys both talked about. Well, we all talked about Dave Batista here, uh, but I also want to highlight that everybody, Aaron. I think you said it best. Everybody's given a really good performance and. Some of these actors that that are part of like the acolytes, if you want to call them that, of uh, mm-hmm. Batista's group, they're having to like give multiple emotions on screen. I, I just want to give them a, a big shout out. I think Rupert Grit has he's probably the angriest of them all. Uh, and he actually has like a really good line when he's like, you know, whatever happens, like keep keep looking at me. But, you know, mm-hmm. even uh, Adrian and, and uh, Sabrina, the other two in the group. They've got to deliver lines while 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 crying at times, and I just thought that it was a really really good performance from everybody. I agree, and this is where I say Servant is awesome. I think Servant is such a fun <laughs> show, okay. and Rupert Grint is among others is very fun on that show because he once again he and friend of the show Toby Kebble, they play they they are <laughs> Brits who have to play New Yorkers, and they uh-huh. very much lead into those accents, and it's always entertaining to watch. Uh, Rupert Grint's playing a very different character than he's playing in Servant. Yeah. Uh, because on servant, he's like a white privilege guy. In this movie, he's whatever he is. But he, I agree with you. Like the, there's an emotional level he has to reach at a certain point, and he's the guy that seems the least likely to be this way. Yeah, I think that's why I take me by surprise. And yeah, I think it works really well. Um, and I, I'd say I think this reflects back on a point you made, Scott, about like the the kind of the stakes of this thing as far as what we expect from the other characters. Because yes, you have three characters here that are. You know, the, the 
violence cannot be visited upon them in a certain way, the yeah. same way mm-hmm. that the others can. But I would disagree as far as not worrying about them because, well, there are three of them. Like if there are two of them, I'd maybe have that issue. But the fact that there, there's the dads and the daughter, I was worried that like someone would, you know, what something could happen to someone and there'd still sure. be like the ability to accomplish the goal. Like uh, that kept yeah. that did that kept occurring to me. If it didn't occur, I mean, if it wasn't an issue, it wasn't an issue to you. But like uh, mm-hmm. for me, it, I just kept feeling like I, I I don't want something bad to happen the wrong way here. <laughs> like that right. kept being on my mind. Um, I yeah, I thought everybody was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby Quinn is somebody that I've occasionally paid attention to since the landline, so it, it was fun watching her in comparatively brief screen time. Um, and Shyamalan's cameo is freaking hysterical. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's exactly the right ghoulish macabre in joke that it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the interstitials, the kind of the flashback stuff that we get in here? Um, I think it's not particularly narratively engrossing, but it is essential in terms of the story he's telling. Mm-hmm. So unnecessary like evil. For I like how word. brief they were. I, I, yeah, like I was going to say like, they're, they're added into the movie and I thought that they're going to be making the movie too long, but it actually, again, good editing from Shyamalan and his, his editor because it just kept going too. So and it also has some variety to the, you know, the single location narrative. Of course. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I, I too appreciate the, like, I, I do like, I don't think it's like cut to the bone as far as we need to get this a certain to runtime. I feel like just Shyamalan smart enough to be like, we don't need to emphasize too much here. Like right. we need, we can get just enough, but we need, which is why I didn't mind like, given the the stakes of this thing the nature of this plotting it's like yeah in in you know a a day we're not going to get a whole long list of things to know about every single character we're kind of getting sure. basically the gist of each one of them yeah and for this premise with this kind of tension in mind i was okay with that i went yeah. like i kept feeling like if this was longer i don't think i'd like this movie more i feel like i'd just be wrung out by the end of this thing because of just getting so much detail and it's yeah, like i, I don't need all this detail which brings me to my the next question as far as like the there's obviously like a religious bent to a degree here um but the movie is not explicitly saying something necessary i'm curious, like what do you guys think of, of like how it's trying to deal with the apocalypse i guess what would you feel i think it plays very well alongside some mid early to mid 2010 movies that basically argued that God is a merciless son of a bitch that doesn't really like you. Um, and I, I think it may it works in terms of a from a filmmaker who whose films have always been spiritual in different okay. ways. Yeah, but you know, usually, generally, give or take signs, has avoided come out and saying, you know, this is a very specific religion, yada yada yada. Yeah. Um, but he certainly believes in. At least in terms of his films, I you know predestination and things of that nature, um, and I you know it's 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 the spirituality that's generally been present in his work is just one more thing that makes him stand out from the pack. Even going back to the Sixth Sense, which, mm-hmm. without being a religious film, has certain spiritual aspects in terms of you know redemption and and mercy and all that veggie tales kind of stuff mm-hmm. which is why i like it you know it's 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 um this one you know obviously it's a little different in terms of its you know without 
are, you know, without making too much of what's intended to be abstract, again, it's, it's, it's a terrifying story of a wrathful, merciless, Old Testament-style God. Um, and I like that. Yeah. You know, I was thinking back to his movie. filmography, too, and I was trying to figure out what you explained there, Scott. Just Does he actually have a lot of religious elements in his movies? And I couldn't remember all of them, but um, something in me was like, I think he does. So I, you, you answered that as well. But Aaron, what did you think about it? I mean, it, it, to, in regards to, like, the past film, I mean, like, Cole's in a Catholic church for so much of that movie, and obviously the Gibson factor and signs and just the nature of where it goes. And even, like, the village, I think, has aspects you can argue to like certainly like predestination is a great uh choice as far as how we're seeing events play out in a lot of his movies as far as you know being specific or what have you like i like that it's not assigning itself in a certain way there's obviously like reads that i'm sure people that are you know of certain religious persuasions or what have you can look into and see something more clearly or what have you like but you know this how i'm registering it is like yeah he has he, he's not um i don't think necessarily like preaching anything but i do think he you know he's being informed by just you know what it is that that that's guided him along and he's finding ways to put that in the film without kind of you know going above and beyond to say a certain thing and i think that makes it effective all the same just because it's yeah it's it's still it's you know it's general entertainment so. mm-hmm. um i all i also you know it it's and I'm going to be as vague as possible because, you know, I, 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 the film reminded me in a good way of frailty. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think frailty is an exceptionally good picture. Yeah, I think it's one of the best horror films of the two thousands. That being said, I do think this film plays in a very similar sandbox sure. in terms of, and I think that's been part of why, you know, especially in this era of, of, pop culture criticism there's been a certain amount of well wait a minute does that mean that the filmmakers agree with xyz and again i i, I think it's a little more complicated than that right and you know it, it just just because a film is arguing that a certain inter- interpretation of the on-screen events does not mean that they are explicitly endorsing a given moral reading. And right. I hope that's as vague as I intended that to be. That's yeah, great. it is. I mean, it's a good double feature. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on, on Knock at the Cabin? Like, good could... sound design, too. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, whenever they're just outside catching grasshoppers, really, really good, like, grasshopper cicada noises just in the side speakers. So, good job. <laughs> I think good score as well, because the score, I think, like it, it plays into the sound design of the film hmm. the mm-hmm. way I appreciate it. I, I think, you know, overall, you know, especially, you know, in the last 20 some years, I think whether or not a given movie is good, M. Night Shyamalan is very good at making movies. For sure. And I, you know, I remain very happy to see what he does next. Yeah, that's like that's an excellent point because I think everything that I've said about praising editing and and cinematography and everything else, that's all because the director is also like, hey, I want you to shoot it this way. So so good directing for sure. You want to hear a nutty piece of trivia that I didn't realize until right hit now? it. Uh, he was he was he was going to direct Life of Pi. 
Yeah. But he backed out because he loved it. But the book had a twist ending and he didn't want people to be able to sort of, you know, basically he didn't want to pigeonhole by Mm -hmm. virtue of him being involved. So then he went and made Lady in the Water. I've I've heard that that's part of it as far as the, I thought it was something, I I don't know if I can believe the part that it's like the the twist is what threw me off. I don't know if it was just something like fell through with a deal or something, but I I did know that he was involved in Life of Pi for a while. Yeah. And and obviously Angley made it um, Um, and did a great job. Um, On tonight's episode of Sliders. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry O'Connell's back, baby. And his I mean, brother and Charlie. <laughs> and brother. <laughs> I mean, I, I always joke that, you know, if I had 18 and only for film related purposes, we're not trying to prevent the Holocaust or anything, you know, that we'd go back in time and shake Shyamalan a couple of times and saying, take Nina Jacobson's notes. Take the note. She's right. <laughs> and then he would make an, spend another decade making well, well, well received, well reviewed and successful mid budget studio programmers for Disney. That said, he has no regrets. He loves Lady in the Water, and he can talk yeah. to people that come up to him and talk to him about it. So, nonetheless, if I had a time machine, <laughs> <laughs> it's coming soon, Scott. Um, All right. Well, yeah. when should people go and see Knock at the Cabin, Scott? Well, it's already nine o'clock tonight, so it's, it's <laughs> kind of late. So maybe tomorrow morning. Wow! First showing. No, I mean, jokes aside, in theaters, if if you're so inclined, yes, they'll be on PVOD in, in 17 days. And mm-hmm. so far from what we've seen, that revenue stream has not really cannibalized theatrical, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you know, he makes movies for theaters. Yeah. And I think even with the, you know, smaller budgets and what have you, he does make films that deserve to be seen on a big screen. Mm-hmm. Hey. Yeah, rating this on our old scale, I'd say this is a dollar theater movie. Like, it's got a really good, again, technical elements that I that I appreciated on the screen. Yeah, this is a theater uh, for me. This is, this is the Shyamalan I want to come and see. The guy that feels like he's in control of what he's doing, has a story he wants to tell, has great actors to pull it off. Like, this just worked for me all the way through. I was, I was very happy with Knock at the Cabin. Right. All right. Well, well, that out of the way, that's our for Knock at the Cabin. Now it's to Abe. Hey, what a. What time is it over here? It's time for a little bit of Scott Mendelson versus Abe Moore. Little known fact, that's actually the wind chimes that are playing, but they just edited out of the movie because Aaron was like, give me $20 for this. And they're like, we can't afford that. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) He called it. Uh, That is, of course, the improv theme for games. And I have a game for you guys this week. It is called Out Now with Airbnb. What? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a series of taglines and a theme will emerge. Um, And you have to guess what the movie is based on these taglines. Okay. You get to get the answer. Say your name and the answer. Got it. Okay. I'm I'm curious what the theme is going to be. I'm going to see it paint out. Here's the first one. Okay, this has two taglines because it might be a little obscure. So here's the first tagline. You think you know the story. Hmm. Here's the second tagline. If an old man warns you not to go there, make fun of him. Ooh. Um. Uh, Wait, just to clarify, are these real taglines? Or these are them? all real taglines. Real taglines. This is for a specific one movie. This is for one movie, yes. Okay. You think you know the story. Mm -hmm. Abe. Abe? 
The Evil Dead. Incorrect. Mm. Mm. Is a 2010s movie. Yeah. It is a horror movie. That old man laughing. If Scott doesn't answer, I've got another one. Go for it. I'm at a total loss. Abe. Cabin in the Woods? That's correct. Yes. Damn it. Well done. Wasn't that your favorite movie of the year, Scott? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I avoided most of the marketing. Fair enough. Yeah. By the way, I had to add the article because I can't remember if the 2014 one was The Cabin or just Cabin in the Woods. It's The I'm, Cabin I'm in the sorry, Woods. The Evil Dead or Evil Dead? Oh, well. Here's the next one. Hmm. Welcome to Crystal Lake. I'm Scott. Scott. Friday the 13th. That's That's correct. You don't need to question yourself. That's the correct answer. Yeah, like Aaron's probably going to throw a fastball in here and just be like, oh, it's part seven. Like, is it one of like 26 sequels? You you stopped yourself there and you got the correct answer. (laughs) Good job, you got (laughs) Here's the next one. The ultimate experience in grueling terror. In grueling terror. Didn't make an Oogie Loves joke here. <laughs> oh. uh, hmm. The ultimate experience in grueling terror. Scott? Scott? I mean, the Evil Dead? That is correct. Wow. All right. Well, don't I feel like a fool? Pretty famous. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like some amusement park scary movie. Here's the next one. Days never end. Nightmares are real. No one is innocent. Hmm. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, Scott. Scott. I think it's called 30 Days of Night. Incorrect. Damn it. Never mind. Uh, Days Sorry, never you... end. Nightmares are real. No one is innocent. No one is innocent. I'll say this. Scott was on the right track. Yeah. I, I want to say... The town something at sundown. No. <laughs> I don't. Yes. I'll, I'll say this. That was on the right track, but the opposite. The opposite? Oh, yes. fuck. 30 days of sun? <laughs> no. 500 days of summer? <laughs> you're, also not about, you're also not thinking about the theme that's going on here. With all these no, I, I got the theme. Yeah, okay. I, got, I, think I, I think I got the theme, but I'm trying to think of like a movie where. That yeah, one, never... that one, a uh, Beckinsale movie where it's snowy. You guys give up? I do. It's insomnia. Okay. Oh! All right. I was thinking of something pulpier, but yes, that makes yeah. sense. I guess for... that Robert Williams has an Airbnb in that movie. One for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the next one. Okay. The most terrifying film you will ever experience. Ooh, uh, Abe. Abe. The Blair Witch Project? Incorrect. Hmm. I thought that was... Okay, we're not doing repeats, right? No repeats usually for games, yeah. No, yeah. there won't be repeats for games. Um, Although your head might be in the right place. Scott? Scott? Evil Dead 2? It. Hmm. Uh, Abe? Abe? Uh, the Bill of Witch Project 2, The Book of Shadows. Oh, God, Eve, no. <laughs> the, the, answer is, the answer is Evil Dead. Evil. Oh. Wait, didn't I? Didn't I do evil? Wait, which you did, Scott. You did the evil yeah. dead. 
This is this Evil is Dead, the reason. This is why I asked my question earlier, and Aaron was just very mum about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can Google it, but that wouldn't be any fun. Which one's which? I just said it out loud. The Evil Dead is the 1980 81 okay, film. 19, the okay, Evil okay. Dead is the remake. Got it. Okay. okay, fair enough. Here's the next one. Terror in the flesh. Ooh, that's a good tagline. Um, Abe. Abe. Hollow Man. Incorrect. Mm. Keep that theme in mind. Terror in the yeah. flesh. Yeah. This is a 2000s film. Okay. It's a debut film as well. Oh. From a notable director. Terror in the flesh. Terror. Oh, 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 Scott. Scott. Cabin fever. It is cabin fever. There you go. From Eli Roth. Good job. Thank you. Here's the next one. Okay. Nothing is harder to track than the truth. Ooh. That's very generic. Yeah. Nothing is harder than uh, Abe. Abe? The snowman. I mean, you're kind of close, but I really thought you, if you nailed it right away, that would have been great. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're in the right ballpark as far as I was like, like, I know it's got, it feels like it's a snowy killer movie with a cabin I mean, in it. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, it's all you, buddy. Which uh, cabin in it? I'm drawing a blank. This Thank is you. a, it, okay, here, here's a hint. Um, it is directed by a, a man who currently seems to have a monopoly on a particular streaming service. Huh. Oh, shit. Scott. Uh-huh. Wind River? Wind River is oh. the correct answer from Taylor Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Seriously, Paramount Plus is like... Exactly. Yeah, it's the Sheridan it's universe. Star Trek, Sheridan, and Paw Patrol. It's, yeah. it's, Paramount, it's Paramount plus Showtime plus Sheridan. That's right. Yeah, their new name. Yeah. Here's the next one. There's four more. Okay. Get lost in these woods and you're dead meat. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. I will say this. There are many sequels to this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Scott. Scott. Wrong turn. It is wrong. Wow, turn. good yes. job. Are they just called Wrong Turn Part Two, Part Three, Part Four, or they have up like to a point? Yeah, no yeah, U turns allowed. It they're they're all they're all out there, and then okay. I, they they just had a reboot that I hear is pretty good. It's decent, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Here's the next one. Don't trust a soul. I thought those were going to be more that's type. I, I said it too. that way because there's two taglines. Okay. <laughs> so I, I said, and I, then I realized as I was saying it that there's a that's a, that's not the extension. That's just the second tagline. Don't trust a soul. Don't trust a soul. Ooh. Can uh, I hear the other one? Yes. Time is on my side. Oh shit, Scott! Oh, yeah. Ah, fuck! <laughs> fallen. It is fallen. He should have made sure the cat wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, this is the time I almost got it. <laughs> Best voiceover narration Yeah, that'd be ever. great. Yeah, there was like a voiceover. <laughs> Here's the next one. Okay. A circle of friendship, a web of mystery, a pattern of fear. Hmm. That's a good tagline, too. Uh, Abe. Abe? I know what you did last summer. Incorrect. Hmm. 
I'm probably wrong, but Scott, uh-huh. the craft? Incorrect. That's a good guess, Scott. Yeah. So we're nine into this. The, the theme is Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, like, exactly. That's the theme of this whole yeah. thing. <laughs> so no, this suburban set, the what craft about does not have this. No. What about Bob? Bob. <laughs> um, I, 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 to- I toyed with putting What About Bob in here, though. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this one. What is it? It's Dreamcatcher. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have got that. Scott would have. Sounds like he would have. A circle of friendship, a web of mystery, a pattern of fear. No, no, no. That's fair. Yeah. Better tag on to the movie. Dave Morgan <laughs> Freeman's only bad performance. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. The sad part is, if, I thought the first half was pretty decent, but then it just drives off. Sucks. The it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the last one. Okay. Evil just messed with the wrong hillbillies. Eh. <laughs> Oh shit! I know the movie, but I don't know the title. Abe, go for it. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah, that is correct. Boom, Puzzle. baby! All right. Well, Abe, you got third place behind me this week. Yes. <laughs> behind Scott, the map here. You are our winner this week. You got six correct. Congratulations. <sighs> Good job, Scott. Thank you. What do I win? I've been doing this for like ten years. I never you actually win got the prize. A, an applause on our show. As we all know, prizes are only awarded to winners of the summer movie gamble, and you get to win. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, let's let's okay. uh, that was games. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's get the bad now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where I go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebookcom podcast. We have some number of questions of listeners, and they gave us some answers, and that's what we're going to do right here. Scott, feel free to throw in your answers as we go through these. Uh, first question we have here. What's your favorite film largely set in a cabin? Chris writes, Evil Dead, take your pick. Hush, Cabin in the Woods, Antichrist, and Zombiever. <laughs> cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, Philip has What About Bob and Your Sister's Sister. Oh. And Mary has The Cabin in the Woods. Okay. Uh, Evil Dead is my pick. Evil yeah. Dead. Yeah. Evil Dead uh, they haven't made it yet, but I'd love to see uh, Yoda, The Adventures on Dagobah, because, you know, he's just living in his cabin there. Just wait. <laughs> just you wait for Disney Plus to like. Don't ask, say it. Don't say it. Oh, no. I've beg, spoken to, to the universe, Scott. To beg Frank Oz to just do it. Traitorous bastard. You know what you've done. <laughs> he's just going to be eating sausage all day. Any guys. idea what you've done. He's just waiting for this kid to show up and be like, I'm going to pull this jet out of the swamp. Let's say, what, what, hold on. Let's let's think about this, though. Yes, it's a single car cash grab. But what if. Disney announced that they're taking like a dig of a series that's set before Empire Strikes Back, and Frank Oz is like, "I'm gonna do the puppetry and voice Yoda." Like, I'd be like, "I'm in, baby." Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, put on my sunglasses. R- Ryan Johnson's executive producing. That, oh, that has to put it, that, that's that has just put it, cheating. That's the <laughs> more more confidence behind this, right? And then turns into a murder mystery too. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously the out, out quickies. I assume we've all been watching Poker Face. Oh, Poker Face is great. Oh, yeah, it's, should, great. That. It's, it's great. Capital yeah. G, great. The pilot yeah. is one of my favorite things he's done. Period. Yeah. Poker Face is probably, I think, the best scene in the past two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably really a good, good. Yeah. I was like, Benjamin Brad is pretty good in this. So, yeah. oh, I, I completely forgot to mention that. Yeah, Poker yeah, should have mentioned it too. But yeah, thanks for Scott for bringing that up. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it doesn't count. So, <laughs> <laughs> the next question here is: What are some great home invasion films? Chris has too many, but some faves are Inside, Funny Games, Hush, High Tension, Us, The Trip, and Philip has Signs. That's a clever answer. I can that appreciate is a that. Clever answer. Well, uh, Abe can't like go to sleep without watching The Stranger. Yeah, I would that. never watch that again. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm mute. 
I mean, but like that's maybe like the most effective one I've seen. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Although, I, like, well, Funny Games is actually that way too because I can't watch that again. Either one of them. Hmm. Like, I've are, never seen it, but now I'm never gonna check it out. Those are those are those are rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Home Invasion film, Home Alone. There you go. <laughs> Skyfall. Um, <laughs> that's true. Sure. It's true. Ruins uh, his fucking what? castle. Uh, you know, I got a couple. Uh, us, us, and yeah. um, and uh, don't breathe, which is like a reverse home invasion that's, film. Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah. Like if you're talking about reverse ones, then that's also like uh, the collector. Yeah, that's yeah. like a, that, yeah, that's a clever panic room for that matter. Yeah, that's that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anything you call the collector? Yeah. Scott, anymore? Oh yeah, I, mean, I think everybody covered it. I mean. Of the films that were mentioned, I think Signs and Us might be my favorite. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, Alexa called the police. <laughs> now playing. Fuck the police. Yeah. Next question. What are some great films about people putting intense faith into a cause? Hmm. Chris writes The Mist. Philip has Your Name, Children oh. of Men, and Arrival. Wow. Those are good answers. Too. These are good answers. Yeah, some solid answers Listeners, here. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Mist is a great answer. That's a really good answer to this question. Putting intense faith into a cause. Uh-huh. I mean, in uh, terms of scary movies, I mean, The Mist scared the shit out of me more than pretty much anything short of Event Horizon. So that has to be the winner wow. by default. Intense faith into a cause. Um, Star Wars The Last Jedi? Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Going on Ryan Johnson themes. Well, we'll allow it. Yeah, thank you. Any of you, Aaron? The Mist is a really good one. Um, and like now, my mind's on like, well, Adam Sandler had to get all those pudding cups and punch drunk love, so he fire. <laughs> a lot of intense, a lot of intense faith in the facts, and a lot of intense like just dialogue from uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Well, what role should Dave Bautista be looking into next? Chris writes, solid actor, whether horror, drama, or comedy, but more horror. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, I, I like him in films. Mm -hmm. All I would say is that he, and I think he realizes this, he doesn't need to do franchises if he doesn't want to. He doesn't need to latch himself onto a, another IP if he doesn't want to. And I think he should concentrate on being, you know, a supporting character in films where he just gets to be very good. Mm -hmm. And you could argue whether he's a lead and knock the door or knock the cabin or not. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing he should be doing. And another my spikes. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, he, he is fun in that movie. Like I, the movie's whatever, but I, he is fun in that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't like I can see what you're saying like sure supporting character roles like he's he just he has the, he's clearly like built he's he's not just building up like he's there at this point like he's not like trying to get to this point he's at the point he's doing a great job I really yeah. like mm -hmm. things and I I don't and this is reaching because this is one of the greatest actors but like I can see him being like a like a like a mafuni like as far as having this kind of stoicism and badassery that he kind of keeps very contained to himself. Mm -hmm. or or expressing it when he needs to I, I think he has that in him if he finds like a key collaborator he can keep doing this kind of thing with where he can yeah. play he can he can play um you know a wandering ronin or he can play you know someone that just 
laughs at it all or a wild card like he just seems to have this kind of like presence that i think is really working for him as far as how to use his size to his advantage um where he's gentle yet such a kind of imposing figure right yeah and I, for the record I, i'm not gonna say oh no we shouldn't do league roles because i mean i love stuber and i loved uh yeah, we're all pro stuber on this podcast <laughs> what was that we're we all are pro all pro stuber on this podcast. oh yeah that movie fucking rocks <laughs> yeah really um what a premise you can't, you can't see. He has to go yeah. Uber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, now they're both huge stars. But, um, but yeah, I think he he clearly knows what he's doing with his career. Yeah. And I don't know if this is just the circumstance, but again, I, I genuinely feel that his screen presence and the choices that he makes help and in terms of making Shyamalan, some of his more Shyamalan-esque dialogue sound a bit more natural. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that they can help each other in that sense. It's yeah. not helping The Rock, who like, mm. I like I like Dwayne. He's but playing God. some safe choices he's, here. Yeah, well, It's going beyond safe to being like, I'm kind of getting kind of tired. <laughs> I've seen some of these choices where when you have someone like Batista, who's like, I just want to like do the right thing here. Where like Rock's like, guys, I've been working on Black Adam for seven years. I think I know what I'm doing. And you know, also like, like <laughs> you know, if I if we make this right, I'm gonna take over DC. Yeah, like, but right, if, that's a, okay. definitely a cover up was worse than a crime situation. Hey, he, mm. Scott, Scott, hold on. <laughs> he checked with his financiers. Okay, let's. I forgot let's about that tweet. That. <laughs> he checked with the financiers. It that's, made money. That's not the first <laughs> time he's done that, by the way. Whoa, in 2018, he pitched to another Forbes author who was not me, some bullshit puff piece that's saying that Skyscraper was totally a hit because it's like the first movie ever to make money overseas or some bullshit. And he pitches to some guy named uh, Brock Krendelson. Uh, no. Okay. He knew well enough to know that Brock Mendelssohn would laugh in his face. Got it. Um, but, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would have done the same thing with Jungle Cruise had that sequel not been quote unquote greenlit. It's coming any day now, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, regardless, we don't need to reflect too much on the rock. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to answer this question, uh, David, he said you should do more musicals. (laughs) Okay. So that's my standard answer. Sure. Yeah, bring, bring, bring I'd it, love James to see a Shyamalan musical. Let's go! Yeah. All the singing is off screen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> but it's like really intense and yeah, it's really yeah, it's like, yeah, really unnerving. <laughs> that, next question: Who is your favorite character from a Shyamalan film? Oh, that's a good question. Oh fuck! Philip has Haley jo- or yeah, Haley Joel Osment from The Sixth Sense. Chris has. Kevin, Barry, Dennis, Miss Patricia, Hedwig, Jade, Orwell, Heinrich, Samuel, Mary, Reynolds, Ian, Norma, Mr. Pitchard, Luke, the Beast from Split mm-hmm. and Class. You're just and, showing off. <laughs> and uh, Luke Luke Thompson, a friend of the show, writes, the brilliant science teacher, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> it is a weird cut what? in the movie right when they cut to him and he says something. <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, Ruben, Ruben writes, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character in Signs. Yeah, he's a good dad. Yeah. Um, honestly, I mean, I, obviously I love everyone in The Sixth Sense and, mm-hmm. and Tony Collette's character. I think it nominated the, the empathy did. and warmth and yeah. sympathy that she was afforded was a big reason why I became a fan of Shyamalan when I was 19 years old. Yeah, that's a good point. No, I, I completely agree. And she, like, you know, 
that's that's such a neat Oscar nomination for that movie. Yeah, because it's like it's not a huge performance, but it's one that's pivotal to the arc of the film, yeah. and it's absolutely deserved. And it's a really great performance for sure. Yeah, and she gives a, a really uh, solid performance. Y- you know, you mentioned the kids earlier in the visit, and Tyler, the the boy, when he goes like crazy because he like they're just trying to get out of the house. That that's what a great performance right there. Okay. Yeah. Starts um, slamming people in refrigerators. Let's see. My my answer is not Adrian Brody in the village. Um, <laughs> I mean, put some respect on his name. He's Academy Award winner Adrian Brody. You know, like I, like I don't. I'm not big on that. I know more people are growing and growing and liking the village more. And I'm just, I assume Scott that you like like the village well enough. Uh, I mean, I admire what it's about more than how it's about it. Okay. Uh, it's like, okay, and I'm not going to say. You know, I think the score is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's got but, it's got elements, but yeah, I'm not a fan. But like. Joaquin Phoenix and Bryce Dallas Howard are very good in that movie. Like they they are really good in that movie, which otherwise I think is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd argue the same for I think Paul Giamatti is fantastic in Lady of the Water. Oh yeah, really dislike Lady of the Water. <laughs> but, mm. but uh, if I had to like pick one, I do think Joaquin Phoenix and Signs is like really good. Like it, it he is really good. Yeah. I think what what I like about it is how unexpected it was. Like. Going into that movie thinking like, you know, it's going to be a scare fest or what have you. And Mel Gibson being the star he was at that time. But like, I didn't see coming like how much like genuine humor was going to come from that premise. And a lot of that's deriving from what Joaquin Phoenix is providing in that movie. I, so I, I think that's a really clever performance. And I can see why Shyamalan's like, yeah, let's keep working together. And then that didn't happen after The Village. Uh, but whatever. <laughs> well, we moved to our last question here. What are the scariest films about the end of the world? Philip writes The Road. Chris has 28 Days Later and Threads. Luke Y. Thompson, friend of the show, has all the realistic ones and Threads, the clear winner. I got to agree with him. Threads. What is Threads? What am I missing here? Um, It's a... Have you seen it? No, I don't know what it is. Oh, what is Threads? It is <laughs> a very devastating... I think it was made for TV. That can't be right. Let me look this up. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a BBC TV movie about the aftermath of, you know, a nuclear holocaust. Hmm. Is this like, because I've I've seen The Day After, which did scare me. Is this like the BBC equivalent of The Day After? (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's it's just unpleasant. (laughs) Hmm. In a very plausible way. It has it has compared it has been compared to the war game produced in Britain Britain two decades prior and its contemporary counterpart the day after in 1983 ABC television movies. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the the road is certainly a good answer. Yeah, uh, to this question because it's just quietly devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, take shelter. Actually, there there you go. Answer. I think yeah. the movie's excellent, and that movie and it it generates so much visceral tension with those dreams that Michael Shannon has and stuff yeah. like. There's a lot of good work there. Um, of recent note, uh, don't look up. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Good, good, uh, solid ending there with a family dinner. Uh, we didn't know how good we had it. Yeah, I love family potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that Timothy Chalamet would go on to be such a big star for that movie? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was all of the questions that were asked of us. Uh, so I'm sorry that we asked. So that was feedback, feedback, feedback. Yeah, that's, and that's going to do it for this week's episode about Now Third and Eight. Uh, you can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write movie reviews for Weed of Entertainment and Blu-ray and Criterion reviews for Why So Blue. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Abe? 
from our fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.mua and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag knock at the cabin times five. I think that they do five times in the knock, right? Or is it six? It depends. I think it varies. <laughs> uh, Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you online? I'm at therap.com and I'm at Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. Great. You can find all the other episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Audiofilm, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast.com. Or write on our physical wall, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. Or tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And you can always follow us on Instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. And remember, be sure to review and leave a rating uh, for us on iTunes. Thank you. Um, Scott, thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you, Scott. Oh, you're welcome. I was happy to do it. Um. Next week, I'm unsure about because right now I feel like I'm going to be exhausted. <laughs> I'm going to get to the movies at all. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll let you know. It'll we'll be another episode, though. But uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be coming back soon enough. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. Bye.